welcome to the Early Roots Podcast. This episode is all about sensory processing problems. So there's something called sensory processing disorder, or SPD, that is technically not an official diagnosis, but it's a term that's used regularly by professionals to refer to specific problems related to the senses. And it's common enough that I know that there are some people that are working hard to try to get it included into the DSM as an official diagnosis. But that being said, sensory processing problems are really common in children with ADHD, children on the autism spectrum, and it's something that I see a lot in the kids that I work with. And it just refers to problems with how our brain interprets, makes sense of, and responds to all types of sensory information. And this includes things like lights, noises, textures, and balance. And I also think that it can include social input like facial expressions and body language, although those things aren't always included in the conversation and tend to fall under the communication category rather than the sensory processing category. But I'll explain later why I kind of lumped them all together and I think that they're connected. So our bodies are constantly picking up information about the world around us and sending that information to our brain to make sense of. So during this process, we have information that is coming in to our brain through our eyes, our ears, and really every nerve in our body. And this information travels to our brain, and most, but not all of it, meets at a spot in the brainstem, and then travels upward to different parts of the brain for interpretation. And at some point along this process, the brain will respond to this information, either through an involuntary reflexive response or through a voluntary action that we choose to take. So, for example, if we touch a hot surface, that information will travel from our fingers to our spinal cord, and we will experience a reflex that causes our hand to jerk back. And in this example, our response occurs before that information even reaches our brain. Other sensations will reach our brainstem or our cerebellum and trigger a reflexive response there. Others will travel all the way to upper parts of our brain for us to interpret and make a voluntary response to. And all of these interactions happen extremely fast, and a lot of things happen outside of our conscious awareness. And this process is very complex, but we rarely think about it unless something is going wrong. Most of the time, our senses are working for us behind the scenes to kind of help us interact with the environment and to provide us with all the information that we need to function properly. For example, it doesn't really require much thought or effort for you to look across the room and see a door and know what it is. And even more complex, if you look up and watch someone walk across the room, the process of following them with your eyes may not really require much effort, but it does take a lot of back and forth interaction between your eyes and your brain to follow the person as they move. And there are a lot of complex vision and brain processes at work in both of these examples, but for most of us, we can do these things with little to no effort or awareness on our part. 
And vision is just one of the many senses that our brain uses to interpret and make sense of the world. And all of these senses should work harmoniously together to give us a stable perception of our own body and of the world around us. And many of the kids that I work with struggle with one or more of these processes. So they don't respond to sensory information properly, and their brain struggles to make sense of the information that it's given. And this can present itself in many different ways. I want to walk you guys through the most common problems that I see in each of the sensory systems, and then we can talk about why these things fall apart. And it's important to know that our bodies have a lot of different sensory systems. So we have the normal five senses that most people think about, hearing, touch, vision, taste, and smell. But we also have a couple of other sensory systems that people might not readily think about. Our vestibular system is one, which gives us a sense of balance and spatial awareness. Our proprioceptive system is another one, which helps us with movement and body awareness. And our interoceptive system is another, which helps us with recognizing different body states like hunger and pain. I also tend to lump social awareness into this sensory category, although technically it falls more into the communication category rather than sensory, but they are related and I'll kind of explain why I think that later. So let's jump in and look at common auditory problems. I work with a lot of children who are very sensitive to noise. So they cover their ears when you turn on a vacuum or a blender. They may hate the sound of a toilet or get really distracted if there's an ambulance driving by. A lot of times they withdraw or panic if they're in a noisy environment, and they may not do well in crowds or at sporting events. Sometimes these kids get really wound up and excitable instead. Many of them are very sensitive to loud noises, but they themselves might be super loud or constantly making noise. Sometimes these same kids will be very sensitive to a sudden loud noise, but when they turn on the TV, they have it cranked up to a ridiculous volume. When it comes to processing sensory information, it's important to remember that being hypersensitive and being hyposensitive are not two separate problems. They're really two sides of the same coin. Both are problems with the way that our sensory systems and our brains are working together. So many kids can be both hyper and hyposensitive depending on the situation and the stimulus. And this can be really frustrating for parents and teachers who may think that it's a behavioral problem rather than a sensory processing problem because it isn't always consistent. It's also common to see more complex auditory processing problems that come alongside noise sensitivity. So kids may physically hear language sounds, but there can be hiccups in the way that they process and interpret that information. Each of these sensory systems are really complex in the way that they work and the way that they interact with the brain, and you can see problems at many different points throughout this process. Another common sensory system that I see affected is our sense of touch. It's very common to see kids who are tactilely sensitive. So they may be very picky about their clothes or about being wet or sticky. A lot of times they don't like eating certain textures of food or touching things that are scratchy or itchy or pokey. It's pretty common to see kids who are sensitive to having things on their head or things on their feet. 
They may even avoid hugs or cuddling or tickling. Things like washing their hair or brushing their teeth can be a big fight. And keep in mind that if a child has one or two of these things, they may not have a sensory processing problem, particularly if it's pretty mild. There is a range of normal pickiness that is just related to our personalities. Kids who struggle with sensory processing usually either have multiple areas they struggle with or they have very extreme reactions. The next area is vision and light. So most of the kids that I work with have problems with their vision. Oftentimes it's problems with their visual motor skills, so how they can move and control their eyes. But I also see problems related to how their eyes respond to light and how their brain processes visual information. And it can be tricky to tease these things apart sometimes. It's common to see kids who are sensitive to bright lights or who don't like the light. It's also common to see kids who get wound up or a little disoriented if there's a lot of bright lights or moving lights around. Some kids even get very fixated on lights or fixated on things that are spinning or moving in a repetitive way. The next areas are taste and smell. And sensory problems with these systems are a little less common, but I do see some kids that are very picky or sensitive to certain tastes or smells. A lot of times they have a very sensitive gag reflex, and in extreme cases will even vomit if they taste or smell certain things. The next system is vestibular, and the vestibular system is located in your inner ear, and it tells you where you are in space and what your head is doing. And the very, very short version is that it helps with our sense of balance. The vestibular system is actually super complex. I have a whole other episode dedicated specifically to the vestibular system, and I could probably make several more dedicated just to this one area. It is hugely important for lots of different areas of brain function, and it's one of the most common problems that I see in the kids I work with. I don't have time to go into all of the different symptoms that are associated with the vestibular system, but common ones that I see are problems with body control and awareness. So kids may be very physically timid, or they may be very wild and rambunctious. Their spatial and body awareness can be way off. Um, It affects a lot of other areas too, including attention, arousal, emotions, academics, and more. If you want to learn more about the vestibular system, check out my other podcast because I go into a lot more detail about that system. The next area is proprioception, and this is a sensory system that's located in our muscles and joints that tells us what they are doing and that help us with movement. So it picks up on deeper touch. So not the touch we feel on our skin, but the pressure we feel either when we're lifting something heavy or giving someone a firm hug. I see a lot of kids who have problems with this system. It affects the way that they move and can also affect their balance and their body awareness. A lot of kids crave that deep proprioceptive input. They like to be squeezed or roughhouse or wrapped in a weighted blanket. And activating this system can help calm our fight or flight reaction and settle down the nervous system. And many kids unconsciously crave that input to help regulate their nervous system. 
And lastly, we have our interoceptive system. And this just refers to our understanding, interpretation, and awareness of our own internal body states. And this is something that I see a lot of kids struggle with. They have a hard time knowing when they're hungry or full. Same thing with temperature, sleep, or pain. Some kids have extreme pain reactions or no reaction at all. Many kids I see insist on wearing short sleeves while it's snowing or their coat on indoors even when they're clearly sweating. This can even affect bathroom issues. I see a lot of kids that struggle to know when they need to go to the bathroom. This can lead to a lot of problems like constipation or toileting accidents. And physically, this just means that they struggle to recognize what their body is experiencing and what it needs. This can spill over into the social-emotional arena as well, even though it's technically not a part of the interoceptive system. As you can probably see, it's difficult to pull apart all of these systems. They all kind of work together to give us our perception and our sense of ourselves and the world around us. Problems in one area often spill over into lots of other areas too. And one of the most common ways that I see this spill over is in social and emotional awareness and interpretation. So when the sensory systems are off, it can be very difficult for children to understand what they're feeling. It can be also difficult for them to understand other people's emotions and their nonverbal social cues like facial expressions and body language. It's very common for the kids that I work with to misinterpret body language and facial expressions. They often struggle with communicating effectively. I even think that things like poor eye contact are related to these sensory and communication processes. And all of the things that I have mentioned are common examples, but there are many, many ways that sensory problems can present themselves. So let's look at the root cause of these sensory processing problems. In most of the kids I have worked with, the root cause is an immature and underdeveloped stress response and or an underdeveloped vestibular system. I have a previous episode that is all about the Moro reflex, which is the infant version of our fight or flight response. And this episode goes into a lot more detail about this response. But the short version is that babies are born with an immature stress response. And as they get older, this fight or flight reaction matures and it goes through several different changes. And you can see how mature this response is by looking at what reflex regulates it. So in infancy, our stress response is controlled by a reflex called the moro. And as we grow, this response should be taken over by a more mature adult startle reflex. And the adult startle reflex is less sensitive and it's a lot more complex and mature in its reaction. But many of the kids that I work with get stuck in this immature overreactive stress response and they keep their moro reflex. And when this happens, you see all sorts of problems with the way that the rest of the brain and body develops. And one of the things that you can see is problems with the way that the sensory systems develop. So many of the kids in this situation don't learn to respond to things like lights, noises, and texture properly. Basically all of the symptoms I mentioned earlier. 
It's important to know that our sensory systems learn how to work based on how we use them, just like our muscles. So the way that we use our muscles and how often we use them kind of determines how and how well they'll work. Our sensory systems are the same way. When children have a retained Moro reflex, it negatively impacts the way they use their sensory systems, which affects the way that they develop. This leads to all sorts of problems with these systems being hypersensitive, hyposensitive, or both. For example, many kids I see hate sudden loud noises because it triggers their fight or flight response. There are also lots of other things that are going on at the same time. For example, we have a reflex in our ear called the acoustic stapedus reflex that helps our middle ear to constrict to dampen certain loud noises to reduce the amount of noise that actually reaches our inner ear. This reflex develops as the moro is disappearing. So it's really common for children with a retained moro to not have this acoustic stapedus reflex. So not only does their brain overreact to loud noises, but physically they hear these noises louder than they should. The same thing can happen with the eyes. One of our physiological reactions to stress is for our pupils to dilate. And many of the kids I see have very dilated pupils a lot of the time. Their pupillary reaction has more to do with their stress and arousal systems rather than a normal response to the amount of light in the environment. This obviously affects how their visual system works and how comfortable or uncomfortable they are with light. This can get even more complex when you look at the social-emotional side of things. When I was in college, I wrote a paper about mental health problems and facial expression recognition. I went through dozens of studies that looked at people with different types of mental health diagnoses and how accurately they were able to interpret facial expressions. And across the board, regardless of the diagnosis, people with mental health problems struggled to accurately interpret facial expressions. And the most consistent finding was that they rated neutral facial expressions as aggressive. And anecdotally, this is something that I see a lot in the kids that I work with. It's very common for them to misinterpret facial expressions and body language as aggressive, as angry, or as scary. And this is something that I see as very much connected to the stress response. It also kind of loosely falls into the sensory processing category because it all has to do with how our brain is taking an input and making sense of it. This is also why I think that eye contact is connected to the sensory systems. I work with many children who have an autism diagnosis and some without who struggle with eye contact. And I consistently see eye contact improve naturally meaning without teaching kids to practice it, when their stress response matures. I have even had several kids who were able to talk to me about their eye contact, and they all say similar things. I had one girl tell me she didn't like looking at people too long because they would become angry with her. I also had a little boy tell me once that people's eyes were too much to look at. And in both of these cases, I think what we have is a combination of anxiety and problems processing visual and social-emotional information. So for these kids, the problems were related to their stress response. 
And as you can probably see, these systems and processes are super complex and interconnected. There is a lot that goes into building a functional brain and body, and there are also a lot of different points where things can go wrong. When a child is struggling with some area of development, it's really important to dig deeper and find out where the breakdown starts. This makes treating things like sensory processing problems much more effective. When I'm working with kids, my goal is always to get these systems working as effectively as possible, not just try to teach kids how to cope. If you have a child who is struggling with sensory processing symptoms, then please check out my website or reach out to me to learn more. In this episode, I mostly talk about the Moro reflex being the cause of sensory processing problems, but there are other things that can contribute to these symptoms as well. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something helpful. Mm-hmm.